What's up, humans? This is the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm your host, Amy Rohovchek. Big thank you for checking out the show. That was Rob Napoli. Rob is a brand and marketing coach, host of The Bare Necessities of Entrepreneurship, and author of a new book, Social Soul. Rob is also a member of the SalesCast community, which is how we met, so a little plug there. And today, we dig into how to blend your social presence effectively as a tool to show who you are, your why, your value, and the impact that you can create. I started this podcast to ask the tough questions around how revenue is created, the questions no one else was asking, and to better understand the uncomfortable conversations that followed. Every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll bring you a revenue human shaking up the business of sales, regardless of title. If you like what you hear, do a subscribe or don't forget to subscribe to the show and definitely head over to the website revenuereal.com and let me know how I'm doing in the form of a review. Feedback is my love language after all. With that, enjoy. Welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline. I... Listeners, you you missed it. I was just playing um, Bare Necessities from the Jungle Book to get us all revved up in it. I, I think it worked a little too well. So now we're now we're talking about <laughs> falling asleep in the shower and who did or did not drink last night and who's wearing a yeah. tank top and who's not. And um, I already know that this is going to be a fantastic conversation. So Rob Napoli, let me um, let's get the business out of the way real fast. All right. Target audience the experienced tech seller. Theme of the show, conversations about uncomfortable conversations in sales. Um, There's the only rule is that there are no rules. (laughs) This is a judgment-free zone. This is a mistake-friendly zone. This is a tangent-friendly zone. (laughs) And yeah, we just, we keep it pretty pretty fucking real. So you're allowed to curse. Um, and I think, have you listened to any of these other episodes? Like, do you have any idea what Colin Mitchell like roped you in on or what you've gotten yourself involved in? I I listened to a little bit, but not, not, not as much as I would have liked. I have like all of them saved on my phone, but, um, I listened to one of them. Okay. Okay. So So I like, I have an an idea. You have a a little bit of an idea. All right. I like asking this question for like personal reasons and so like, just which one did you click on? I'm going to pull up because I can't remember the the guy's name. It was one of your first episodes. Okay. Jeff Uh, Bajork, Ryan Walsh, Daycom. No. No. Ryan Walsh. Ryan Walsh. Okay. So CEO of um, RepView. That was a good choice. That was my, that was, that was my first episode because they have the data on like what's going on. So like, why why not start? And I and I like that one. Or I went out because I um, Larry Long always has like a refuse stuff on. I know he's a great master, so I was like, okay, I'm seeing this refuse stuff all the time, and I actually I didn't know what refuse was all about. And I was okay. like, okay, here we go. Oh, and also, man. like, um, you know, I you and I had gotten introduced through Jordana, and so when I saw that you were dropping this stuff out, I was like, okay, I gotta I gotta check out what Amy's doing. And also, I knew I had at least listened to at least one to get an idea of what this conversation is going to be <laughs> just like, so, you know? so you know. Okay. That's amazing. All right. So generally I save the last 10 minutes for my final two questions. One's a question. One's a piece of advice. Sometimes I give people some uh, insight into what those are, but I'm not going to do that this time, Rob. Something tells me that you can handle it. Um, <laughs> and what else was I going to say? Oh, the, oh, I wrote down a list of things that we could possibly talk about, right? Uh-huh. To, where to start. Right. And so I'm going to read this list to you and then you're it's on, since I made the damn list, you have to choose where we're going to start, including something that's not on the list at all. Um, okay. You ready to go? I am. And then we'll go back and hopefully we can finish in the, or build in the rest of that. Like (laughs) I fell asleep for two damn hours in the shower last night or this morning. Um, okay. So the first was obviously the social soul, the new book, um, that's coming out this fall, which I know I, for one, well, I haven't pre-ordered it yet, but that's going to be one of the things I asked for. Cause I got to get my hands on that bad boy. Obviously yep. the bare necessities of entrepreneurship, which is your new podcast that launched mm-hmm. right around the same time as mine did interestingly yeah. enough. 
And so I'm very curious about your take on podcasting, right? So I say it often Mm -hmm. that it's been a while since I've been on a learning curve as steep and unforgiving (laughs) as podcasting. Um, And someone even that used the speaking circuit to open opportunities. And um, this is just, it's been very different. So I'm always, I'm curious. I wrote down, um, control what you can control your attitude and your effort. Like that was one of the mantras that I was raised with. Right. So I was raised by a sales leader. Um, and I, you know, we were asked at the kitchen table when we felt uncomfortable that day. Right. So starting young, right. I was prime, but anyway, so that was another one. And I haven't heard anyone, um, with that line as succinctly before I listened to you, you say it. So we, there's that. Um, the difference between lived versus learned experiences. You had said something um, on one of the one of the things that I had listened to prior to this about how we learn from experiences, and I, I think um, yeah. So I, I'm curious about your take on that. I I was really blown away with how frankly you had dropped on your inaugural episode that you had been fired. And I think there's a lot of stigma around that right now. And so I thought I thought it was baller, right? And also, you know, as someone that can relate to that statement, right? I, I know what that feels like. And um, so th- that's on the list. You use the word intentionality very often. And I love it. But every time you had said it, I was like, really, I wanted to like jump into whatever you were, were doing or whatever conversation you were having and ask you to define it. Um, and so I, I definitely want to hear your take on the definition of intentionality. And you mm-hmm. mentioned as it related to the book about how your network, how to leverage your network with intention. And so that mm-hmm. one, like really like that was interesting to me. And I, I also, I want to connect the dots between entrepreneur, excuse me, um, entrepreneurship and selling mm-hmm. and even recruiting and selling and just one for the target audience, right? Because I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, things that can be, the, they're pretty interchangeable. We can throw in entrepreneurship in there or how, you know, 97% of um, innovative type ventures inside corporations fail, which is of cold 20 clicks, 20 percentage points above the failure rate um, mm-hmm. for startups. And so like, that's an interesting thing, something that we cover on the uh, Sean Shepard episode. But anyway, the and then um oh yeah connecting the dots between selling and entrepreneurship and recruiting which i know i just said but so that's my list i know there was a bunch of on there but where would you like to begin sir um you know i think we got to start with the fired putt piece and then work into intentionality because those two things kind of happen back to back okay and then everything else kind of ties i think will tie back in uh with everything else so that's what you i'd start with okay So listeners, the episode that I'm referring to where Rob dropped this baller statement with love and intention um, was his, it it was, again, it was that inaugural episode for the bare necessities of entrepreneurship. And Rob shared his backstory. And I, I would say, Rob, for anybody that's interested in the backstory, like I'll put the link to the episode in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, so keep with that in mind, why don't you give us, uh, like a, the cliff notes version? Uh, yeah. Cliff notes version. Uh, I started my career in recruiting. I recruited fortune 500, Forbes 100 companies out of college, Mm -hmm. uh, in the software developer space. So I did this in small market in Des Moines for the seventh largest, uh, IT staffing company in the nation, K-Force. Uh, first 18 months did zero dollars in revenue pretty much. Yeah. But luckily my boss knew what she was bringing on and she was the most baller leader I've ever had. And I did a $5 million book of business in the next three years. So at 24, 25, 26, I was making six figures out of college living in Des Moines, Iowa, bought yeah. a house, a yeah. two bedroom, two bedroom, I did the whole thing. Yeah. Had the career, do my thing. Um, yeah. met my now wife in small town, Iowa. She's my best friend from college's younger sister. Uh, three months into dating, she said that she was moving, <laughs> moving to, to Italy. Italy. <laughs> yeah, she was moving to Europe to get a master's and that she didn't do long distance. Love it. And I fell so, in love with her too during that statement that you shared, <laughs> by the way. Like, I want to shake her hand. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I mean, she was she was up front. She was like, hey, this is what it is. This is what I want to do. Like, I'm not going to put down my dreams for something else. And I was like, cool. Like, I got a yearning and an, for something more. And I always wanted to do something more. So I was like, fuck it. Let's go. What's the worst that's going to happen? I was going to up in Italy, single, but living in Italy. Right. Is an American. I was also coaching American football, professional right. American football there. Right. I got my master's in multi-channel marketing. I heard, uh, yeah. And that's, it, and honestly, this is the most amazing thing. It's like, this is where my life into startups and entrepreneurship happened because of going to school there and playing coaching ball. One of the players from another team had a company called Beast, brought me in to be head of content and business development. I helped him scale from 5K MRR to 100K MRR on a B2C commerce platform. I took him to the US market, went through an accelerator program, which is where I met my now business partner, Phil DeVecchio, which we started Hapdigger together. He brought me into the coaching and mentoring circuit at the startups. So I've been through that experience. I lost like a startup. We raised a million dollars of funding and up not doing the things that you're going to do with it. Yeah, so yeah. they let me go, went to a large corporate. I wanted to go work in that large corporate. Yeah, so I've done this. the corporate experience, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I wanted to do it in a large, like big market. Cause I did it in a, in a, as a field office. I did that. And then and it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. Like, I, I love the experience. And recruiting, I did some cool things. Um, but I knew it just wasn't me. It wasn't It wasn't the path I was meant to be on. Yeah. And so I left to go to a smaller startup recruitment firm. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was the wrong decision. It wasn't passionate. Uh, and that's where I got fired. Right. And, you know, I wasn't, I didn't get fired for performance. You know, I got fired because there's a small team. And my boss, who is a baller, uh, him and I never, we didn't always see eye to eye. We had things that we had to work out. But at the end of the day, he was a hell of a leader. And we've worked, I mean, since then we've worked stuff out. But like, he is a hell of a leader. And he, he was like, Rob, I'm bringing you on, doing these things. Like, but I can't afford this. Like, my team needs to grow and scale. Like, I need to grow and scale my business. I just, I just don't see you being a part of that and the passion's not there and you're just not hitting the goals that you really wanted to hit for yourself. Like you're doing okay, but you're not doing what you set yourself out to do. And it's just not working out. And, right. and I was like, you're right. And he was like, look, here's what I'm doing. Like I'm kind of gave me like, he split out, like he, he was awesome. He like split out my house paycheck for two months and he was paying for my healthcare benefits. So I had benefits for the next two months. Right split up my commission and paid it all out in, in, a, in a good way that actually gave me startup capital. And he's like, Rob, go start your own business. You are meant to go like be a coach and start your thing. Like go do it. And I did. And that's, and I ended up starting up rise up coaching and happy group at the same time. Happy group ended up scaling faster at first. So I spent last year really doing happy group. And then we made some decisions strategically bring on a partner to run the day to day of happy group. So I just, I still run the business, but it's not a big part of my time. And I focused on, Rise up, which is what you see on the content. Okay. So, yeah. Wow. And, you know, you used a phrase when I first heard this story that this, this dude gave you the best piece of advice that you ever received, which is go pursue your, your dreams. And I, I think about all the time that people spend fretting about losing their job. And think about all the energy that is, and the, the, the strain and the toll and the taxation that we put on our bodies by worrying about this. But when you actually go through it, it turns out to not be often. And I'm speaking, like I literally, one of the young women that I'm mentoring, like called me today and is facing a very similar type thing. And so like, this is a very real and and current um, statement that I'm making, but it, it tends to be, and same thing with pit plans, right? One, I think that, and maybe I'm projecting onto you, right? That we, we could spend less time worrying about this. Yeah. Because no one dies. Right. And, but also there, there's a lot of gifts and there's a lot of beauty that can also come from it. And, I, I think you summed it up really beautifully. And so one, thank you for that. And and also too, it's something that I can relate to. Interestingly enough, mine having to do with recruiting. And so I was brought in to lead up a, um, uh, a sales team for a, a tech startup. And it was like a matching platform in the legal space. And I have a, a mental health story, a mental health journey that I'm not secret about, right? It's definitely, it's out there. And this was the first thing that I had done. Same thing, like my... 
my, I wasn't passionate about it. I wasn't into it, but I was there long enough. And so this is my transition and I'm very pleased with myself right now, Rob, that I'm able to tie all this together, but I was, I was there long enough to realize that recruiting those that are working in recruiting, the similarities between recruiting and like selling SaaS um, <laughs> are, are, are a lot there's a lot more overlap than we often give credit to. And frankly, I found the recruiting space to be harder because there's so many more aspects of the motion that you just can't control. Yeah. And well, you got so people on both sides, people on both sides. And then I, I mean, I don't want to go like too deeply into it, but when I think about all the box checking and recruiting that goes into, you know, bringing in sellers, Right. And if somebody doesn't check all the boxes, that X amount of years experience, having worked in said industry before, having, you know, having been a top performer for X amount of years, like it's just then we don't even consider these candidates. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity there for those that are looking at um, individuals that have done well in the recruiting space. But again, like what would you what would you say to the similarities between selling and recruiting and even selling and entrepreneurship? So well, a couple of things, and and I just I want to say this because I love that you brought this up, and there was a thread about this on somebody's LinkedIn yesterday. Might have been Amy's Amy Bolas, um, but I, I said before when I moved to New York and was looking for jobs to, and I wanted to get into SaaS sales. No one wanted to hire me because like you've never sold SaaS before. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. It's a product demo. Right. I can sell. I've I. Not only okay, when I say you're selling, there's people on both sides of recruiting. There's people on both sides of SaaS too, right? There's a buyer and a seller. But the the dynamic of recruiting is that there's a the, the product is a person that is emotional, and it's 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 a whole big thing. And recruiting is the highest of highs and lowest of lows. And so I thought it was absolutely asinine that when people were like, "Oh, you've never sold SaaS before, so you're, we don't want to bring you in." I'm like, "Okay, but I've been a top performer as a recruiter selling people in." Like I promise you, I can get this done. Yeah, and like, they would. Yeah, and they wouldn't even look at you. Give me a demo and let me. Like I pitched and raised funding. Like I was told by one of the top um, investors in New York City. Uh, she came to a pitch event and she was like, "That is how you pitch. It's one of the best pitches I've ever seen." Like I know how to sell shit. I know how to pitch a product or right. service. Right. Um. So I thought it was crazy that people, you know, they and I get industry experience is great, but you know, if you find a great person. Like, and this is where, you know, you think about team dynamic and you're creating like a culture and team, you need to bring folks in that have, they come from different backgrounds and spaces to think different ways on how you can go about and collectively build. So right. uh, that kind of transitioned into this like recruiting and selling, but also like recruiting and entrepreneur, selling and entrepreneurship. When we think about this is that the best entrepreneurs, best founders go figure out how to sell their product first before they bring in a team. And there's a lot of bad startup advice out there. It's not bad. It's just not, it's not meant for startup. misinformation. Startup. Yeah. Yeah. We call it startup advice. We're, we're saying growth stage advice, right? Like before you can hire a sales team or fire, especially hire VP sales, your VP of sales should be like your fifth sales hire. Like you should go figure out how to sell it as an entrepreneur. Cause so this is the, I'm going to go off on a tangent for a no, second. It's, it's tangent really friendly. Insane. You do it. You do it, sir. So a lot of times I get, I get reached out to by a lot of, people who have great ideas, right? And it's no longer, sorry, you can't, you can't be fucking Uber and have a great idea and a shitty deck and get investment to go build it. You have to build it and improve it before you get investment. But you get these really smart entrepreneurs, like some of the smartest of smart people and like, oh, our total addressable market size is $1.5 billion. And we're going to capture 2% of that in the next five years, we're profitable in three. I'm like, the fuck you aren't? How? Your product's like going to sell itself? <laughs> well, they think they think that some people yeah. think that it's going to sell itself because it's inherently better. People are going to know that. Two, two percent of a billion dollar market. There's plenty of stuff to go around. And then they look at the competition side, like, oh yeah, there's no one like us. I'm like, the fuck, there's there's a hundred competitors. Can I add one thing to that? So that's I love that you said that. I love that, right? And I think I did a post about this where it's like every the amount of um, founders that venture into the space thinking they're category defining. Right. With it's just like mind blowing. But anyway, what I was gonna say, oh God, I think I lost it. Gosh darn it. Um the oh uh has to do with sellers, product selling itself. Oh, and the lack of respect for the profession, I think is one of the other things that keeps people from 
like awareness. Right. And so it's just like when, when, so I built out two sales enablement departments One, and I started, I like after, you know, learning and living the experience of um, making sure that your values align right with an organization, particularly how we think about and how we treat the field. This was one of the questions that I started building in is, and I would get some really interesting and it, you know, Rob, it was one of the hardest parts about transitioning to sales enablement. So I did a decade, right, as as a seller, and yeah. my last, and I was top performer, right, the whole time. My last year, I hit my annual quota in February. I won a company a wide award at Thomson Reuters for exquisite champion building, right. So mm-hmm. the one, the hardest thing about transitioning was seeing how pervasive the limiting beliefs about the field was right? At that proverbial table, right? Mm-hmm. Sellers are not problem solvers. They are not um, able to manage their own time. Like, and it just, anyway, I think that's another problem with the yeah. way that founders or um, I forgot which, what your nomenclature was like the, the, the way that we, we think about go-to-market market efforts is that it doesn't require a lot of skill to sell. And that is also something that <laughs> keeps us from um, you know, like taking a, I'm not losing any sleep really at the founder level. I'm thinking that's, I'm, I'm more on the seller side, but it's fun to have this conversation between the two of us, but that's one of the big problems. I think root cause problems that keep founders from, um, embracing like the work involved uh, with bringing anything to market, right. The actual skills and discipline and effort required, uh, that and that need to be developed to sell, which is very difficult to do when you don't think that they have any value or that yeah. they're a thing in the first place. One hundred percent. And I think, you know, one of the things that I don't understand too is that you know how how can you sell to an investors or pitch to investors to give you money if you can't sell your product, right? Like this is where it really. Why would investors that- give you money if you're not selling your product? Exactly. I mean, the point exactly, right? They do all the time, though, but... Uh, Yeah. I mean, sometimes, I mean, yes, that is true. But to that point of when entrepreneurs are taking something to market, you know, they lose sleep all the time over revenue. And, you know, one of the examples when when we were looking at, I was actually talking with this amazing founder a couple weeks ago. Uh, She's like, 2021 and she basically has self-taught herself how to do all this stuff on youtube and has a 5k mrr online subscription business going it's amazing and like hearing how she's talking about this and like that she gets it like she's going out teaching herself how to do the value of all these things and because she knows the value of all the roles she knows she's gonna hire better for that for that fact oh love the dog uh, I dog sit on Rover Sorry, she's, on the side. Oh, do you? That's amazing. I just I usually I, have a dog in here. This is one of the few rare days I don't have a dog in the background. That's so funny. I have I just started my Rover application because I was like to do the same thing. Like, why the hell not? Um, no, yes. this is my ride or die bitch, and she was moving around. So I just want you. I'm listening, but that's what was. <laughs> no worries. I love it. Uh, but these founders come in and they're and you know they need to be able to sell it, and revenue keeps them up at night. And, and my. You know, I get a lot of founders that are from Europe that also complain about, you know, American salespeople are, they, they say they do all these things, but then they, they never come through. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot of bullshit out there. Like I worked in the recruitment space, it's recruited salespeople. There is a lot of bullshit out there, but sales. Oh my is, gosh. And you didn't know what, I'm so glad you listened to the Ryan episode. So sales is the soul, unless you're in a B2C space and B2B sales is what makes your company go. Yes. When sellers we, win, everyone wins. Yeah. And so we don't train salespeople well. And as you've seen, I mean, you're part of, I know you're part of the uh, Genius community and you're head of community for now SalesCast um, and sales hackers are writers. So you're part of these different communities of upskilling sales and you know that there's this, this need, right? And, but why aren't we training? We're finally seeing the motion to like train. Like if you follow the space, there's now so much training. We've always kind of been like standard training these different things, but Organizations are finally realizing, hey, salespeople need to be more upskilled up to train. And everyone's like, well, the, the, the age-old thing, like, yeah, the average tenure of a salesperson right now is 18 months if you're lucky. And why would we put training dollars into them if they're not producing? And it's like, well, do you want to have an employee here every 18 months? Or do you want to have an employee here for 72 months as a top performer that's going to get picked because they're either gonna, you're going to hire, 
get them as your head of sales and mm. scale you to the moon or they're going to get taken by somebody else. And like, no offense. I know it sucks when you have somebody, a top performer leave, but that's kind of the most baller thing that could happen is if that you have people that you've trained on your team to grow and get opportunities to go even bigger and they get handpicked for something. And if you have animosity towards that, come on. Like you know, that, it, that as a direct reflect, you put that time, energy, and effort for in there and it helped them get to the next level. Be fucking proud of that. Yeah. But we're it's, so afraid of losing our people that we don't train them and we don't give them the respect to bring them in. I mean, okay. So that's a broad brush statement that I wholeheartedly agree with. But I think that there's a lot of other factors or issues that like, so here's a perfect example. And by the way, if you like the box checking and the recruiting, you should check out the uh, Corey Cossack episode. He's the CEO of Aspireship. We go mm. deep into all that is BS about this. But I I, I push back a little bit on, on that episode too, that it's like, okay, so there's a difference between symptoms and root cause problems, right? Most, and there's three types of problems, right? Even taking it a step back even further. Um, there's three, t- and I'm looking on my bookshelf, one of my favorite HBR Harvard Business Review books from last year, it's called What's Your Problem? And it's like, you know, the ability to hone in on actually what we're solving for is a precursor to solving it. And anyway, but the point is that three types of problems, tech problems, process problems, human problems. And most people will try to solve one of those three types of problems with the tech solution, which is why one of the, it's one of the real reasons why a lot of tech implementations, um, and there's a lot of buyer's remorse for software purchases. But the, what I'm trying to say is that when I think about that problem of, of turnover mm-hmm. with the field, and it's like, why the fuck are sellers leaving? Right. If we get into like play a little five wise, why are they leaving? And I think this is why RepView and Ryan Walsh are doing the Lord's work, really, because they're injecting more transparency mm-hmm. into the hiring process, because right now there is none um, for the sellers, or at least there wasn't before before RepView. Um, because sellers, like I can think of, you know, I guess the counterpoint to that would be Glassdoor, but sellers care about very different things than yeah than most employees and for, for good cause. And so, um, but, but that said, one of the primary reasons for that attrition is not just the, the lack of training or coaching um, afforded the field at the location. There's also a skill gap out at that frontline manager level that mm-hmm. then causes the turnover. And same thing with, with, you know, we could play with the idea of productivity or performance. Like, where does that actually come from? There's a lot of, there's a lot of modern research right now that clearly states that autonomy mm, has a big part of it as does happiness. And then look at how we manage SDRs, right? We're managing what they do down to the day and task. So the opposite of autonomy. And so Mm -hmm. like, these are all factors that are contributing to the attrition rate, but to, to have to hear you say this, and I know that it's accurate because I've heard I've participated in these conversations and yeah. I've debated the opposite, but it's like, what is in the brains at our C levels, at our leadership level, where we're not able to look at this scenario and think maybe a portion of this attrition, which by the way is a massive cost, right, yeah. to the business, especially at, at a time. Um, when, when organizations that are like, you know, starting to, to grow, they really, they could use that money. Um, it's one of the most massive costs, but we're still very down with finger pointing and labeling sellers and calling that, oh, they're hopping around or, oh, they're looking for bigger checks or, oh, without being able or willing to look at ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a very real big piece of it. And I think a lot of organizations, and I say this, you know, there is sales training out there. I think there's been a huge change into the way you train on the job. Uh, I think about some of the jobs I've had. My first sales job that I got into was healthcare recruitment. I was only there for like six months and then for okay. a cup of coffee. Yeah. I got in there for day one. This is 2010, right? Mm-hmm. They sent me a conference room and I watched 
five hours of videos from how to be a recruiter from 1985. <laughs> I was born in 87. Yeah. Like, that's how I, that was like, my training. Rob, you're like, preaching to the choir. This is why I went into sales enablement because there was, yeah. there was such a massive gap and I couldn't understand. This is why okay. I wanted to get into coaching on this stuff. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and this, and it, but I think a lot of it starts again, coming back to, you know, the entrepreneurship side of things. And we look at these things that, you know, when, if you're an entrepreneur who learns how to sell and you can sell your business and you can teach others how to come in and do that, the way you did that and you have your CRM set up and you do all these things, you're going to, you're more likely to have people stay with you because you're, you're like, Hey, I've been there, done that. I can empathize and sympathize right. with you. Right. And, you know, then there's, we, we point fingers when people leave and I get, you know, part of it is, and we look at athletes doing this all the time, right? You can, you know, do you, <laughs> Do you, just, do you take less money to go play for Tampa Bay and Tom Brady and try to win a Super Bowl? Or do you go get a Supermax deal and go play with, you know, the Dolphins or something? And sometimes you you, you do those things. And there's competition that happens in the market, right? We, 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 we kind of think that we're defining our categories. Like, no, you're not. There's right. so much competition. Right. And, you know, if I'm recruiting, why would I not want to go grab Amy if she's already done X, Y, and Z? And it's like, I think she could be a great fit here. I would... I'd be willing to pay an extra 10 K to go get her to bring that experience. in if I feel like that's worth my shot. And so, I mean, it is, it's a big pull. And, and if you want employees to stay, and I talk about employee engagement a lot, if you want employees to stay with you and turn down a short-term check or whatever for long-term gains, then you have to earn that trust like millennials. And, you know, we have Gen Z entering the market right now, 23 and 24 Gen Z is, is now in the market working for us. And they consume, they've been, they're digital first natives. They consume content all the time. They know what it's like and how to be treated. They know what they want to be treated like. They know that they want to work for companies that make impact and they want to feel that. And so if you don't have processes in place to celebrate those things, sales is fucking hard. And it, I mean, sales, sales is, is hard with those things in place, yeah. but it's unbearable. It is. And when just, without. I mean, Especially never, if you've experienced it already, it's like taking yeah. the red pill, like good luck yeah. going back. <laughs> I mean, it's never going to, I don't think it's ever going to truly, there's not going to be a perfect solution. Uh, but what I can say is that when you're building a business, whether you're, and I do agree. So you brought up this thing about sales leaders. And I think that the big problem with sales leadership and part of, you know, I've thought a lot about my career and why I wanted to kind of move away from certain things. I've been in sales leadership roles is that, you're carrying a quota and then, you know, the team quota. And we don't really train you for that. And then how are we, how are we promoting? We're promoting top performers. Not every great player is a great coach. Sometimes the best coaches are not the best players because they see the game differently. And if you actually look at every other profession, yeah, like sometimes there might be somebody on our team that's really good at certain things, but would be a great leader. could see the bigger picture. Maybe he's not like the best individual seller, but can lead a sales team really well. And sometimes your best sale sellers are so in the world that they're not going to be able to manage a team. And you okay. have to also understand those different skills. Okay. So I got to pause you here for a second because I'm, 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 I agree with you. So this is an, I agree with you. And yeah. While, while I'm, so I wrote about this last year for sales hacker um, in that mental health article, it was the greatest competitive advantage you'll ever know mental health. And I go into this manager thing and I use Google did a study called project oxygen and mm -hmm. they looked at all their, across all their teams. So it wasn't just sales floors and they were looking for character traits that made for, they were trying to understand the impact of the manager on the effectiveness of the business unit. And yeah. shockingly, right. There was a lot of causation. There was well past correlation. And so they, they whittled it down to eight factors that actually they added two more um, of which like very low on the list, um, technical acumen was on the list. And so that is having the ability to do the job, right? A top performer. However, oh, and one of the things that they added, um, I think it was a couple of years ago. So after the fact was psychological safety, which is something that Jordana and I go deep into in our conversation. That said, I am pretty fucking sick of hearing this. I, this like the top performers don't make for the best managers, and the same reason that I'm sick of hearing that like sellers leave the organization, right. For greener pastures or it's, but it's the seller's fault because 
we don't have any onboarding program for most first-time sales managers, right? That's not a thing. And I've lost count how many times I've petitioned to do that on a sales enablement front and gotten the mm-hmm. no. And so there's there's that, right? So it's the lack of skill development at all. Mm-hmm. I don't care what type of human you put into the scenario or into the pot, yeah. right? Not everybody's born with, as a gifted coach, right? And so the, yeah. those are even skills that you develop. But not everybody played sports or had that experience. Most of us that came up or grew up in sales, they, we certainly didn't have that as a sit from our sales managers, mm-hmm. you know? And so mm, I think that then, then there's like the lack of like thing. If we're lucky, if you're lucky, when you were working with your recruiting clients, they had, you know, come up with core competencies or character traits mm-hmm. that they were looking to fill, right? Curiosity, right? Is a big one. And I know that's one that you agree with um, and, and shout from the rooftops too. So I, I applaud that. Um, but with, like without having done the baseline work of here are the character traits that we are looking for in our first line managers. And so it's mm-hmm. in the absence of this defining, it's in the absence of this skill development mm-hmm. or investing that it doesn't matter who you put into those roles. They're not going to do very well either. Yeah. And so like, I, I don't, I'm, it's I I'm just I'm a little I'm I'm a little biased on this one about anything yeah. that has to do with like blame the seller or you know push back on just because someone is a top performer like you wouldn't believe Rob how many times I've heard this in the past like couple of weeks like oh you were top well you're not going to be a good leader because top performers don't make the best leaders it's like what okay yeah well see and I I say that in this point because I see too many times that we just promote that, that we're like, Oh, you're the, you're the best in the team. So we're just going to promote you to take this on and there's no skills. And so what I mean by not every great player is a great coach. Not every good coach was a great player is that it's the way you evaluate skills. And it's the way you're actually pulling that into play and training that. Cause and I use coaching. Coaching is a posture. Mm-hmm. I don't look at coaching, like coaching sports, like I, coaching is a posture. There's times that you have to posture as a coach. There's times that you have to posture as a leader. There's times that you have to posture with empathy. There's times you have to posture with certain different certain postures that you take on and one-to-ones and team engagements as, as a, as a leader of people. Mm-hmm. And so I bring this up because I think it's really easy to default to process and saying, okay, for this role, we're just going to hire top performers or the, the vice versa thinking. Sometimes some of the top performers are the best leaders. The, the key root of the problem is that there needs to be a, a well-defined, like, why are you promoting somebody into this role and how are they going to make that impact? right? Because mm-hmm. it depends on also that role, the team, the product There's a lot of different things on why you'd put somebody to be in that position. And then if they step into that, do they have the mental ability to say, I can take this on and do this. And these are the things that I need. And, it's a, it, and it goes back to this thing about process. Does the company have the right process in place to ask the right questions, to put the right people in places to be successful? It's a really hard thing to do at any I, level. Yeah, no, I, I, I have a green belt in process design. So I, um, I'm, I'm with you there. And it's even when I look at sales processes, the number of times that I'm looking at a process where like that has been designed for the company. So principle one for process is that all value flows at the, at the pull of the client. And so when we see, think of this idea of like pulling, um, clients or buyers through the sales motion, based on our time and what we what amount of revenue we want and need as a company by by when right yeah. but anyway so i'm i'm chuckling with you but that you know i we i could banter around with that because that could yeah. also be a human problem that that we have not prioritized mm-hmm. the defining and and you know you know intention mm-hmm. um around what we're looking to accomplish and why and i think we can add one more on on to this which is the turnover rate at the manager level, right? And so I think the average tenure right now for sales leader, and I distinguish between sales boss and sales leader, but the average tenure is something like 12 or 14 months. So crazy, mm-hmm. crazy, crazy turnover, um, which also suggests that the problem is not necessarily the the individual. And it has to do with the conventional air quotes wisdom around mm-hmm. what's the best way to play it. Um, okay. But Rob, I want to, so I, we've got nine minutes before my final 10 minutes for our last questions. I want to hear about this book, this, the <laughs> social soul. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I, in my career as I've gone through things and, you know, we, we use these words 
a lot of you hear curiosity, intentionality, attitude, effort, and authenticity. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm going to pause you. We could like define intentionality and then the book or, but if you could build in the definition of yeah. intentionality. So I, I actually will, and I'll do it. And so I kind of do it in a, okay. in a, in a process. Okay. Uh, the reason why I do it, it's curiosity, intentionality, authenticity, attitude, effort, right? And so when you're curious, you learn, right? And when you learn, you build. When you build, you need to build with intention. And what intentionality means is you understand that you're doing something because of a, a why, but also a how, right? You know, we think about Simon Sinek's, what's your why and the golden circle and that whole thing. And so when you build attention, like, why are you building this? And then how are you going to go about building? How? Right. I and so, it. so that how then becomes when you start doing the how authenticity, right? You got to be authentic in that how you got to be real. You can't just like, be fake. It's got to be a real. And so this is where, you know, between curiosity, intentionality, and the how piece with authenticity, this is where you learn lessons, right? You're going to fail. I mean, you see that all the time, you know, we always want to be successful and be perfect, right? But you have to, it's failure not how it is works. the price, Yeah, right? not, that learn. is not how it works. But if you understand, and we'll talk about our why, but mm-hmm. when you start, when you stop thinking about just why and start thinking how, how do I do this? And this is where curiosity, how do I get creative and do these things? and you do that with authenticity and you try, test and learn, you go forward. And then the attitude and effort piece comes into, you're going to fail. You're going to get knocked in your ass. So you have to have a good a- attitude and give great effort daily. Those are the only two things you can control really in your life, your attitude and your effort. And so when you do that, good things will happen. And so you put that good attitude and effort every day. How do I just put one step forward? But how do you put a half step forward? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're putting that attitude and effort and you're curious and going for these things, you're going to, evolve your range of thinking and get creative with solutions. And it's why I'm a big fan. I talk about my inaugural episode about I am kind of building a community that passes to other communities. And the fact that I don't, I, I, and I'm in a lot of different communities and different groups and things, but I don't go deep into any one of them because I don't want to get stuck in an eco chamber. I love weaving in and out and learning and taking different things and having great conversations and just expanding range. I'm a very, wide, you know, I try to go wide, six inches deep and then go wide versus deep all the way and then wide or try to go too wide. And so that's where this kind of all comes into. And so I've always wanted to write a book. I've loved talking about personal branding. I've been talking about it for a long time because I was a recruiter for a long time. Then I moved to Italy and I started building this global network and I came to New York city and I moved here. I'd never been to New York. So I was Midwest boy. Never been, I've still never been west of the Rockies. I've, you know, the farthest east I'd gone prior to that was Nashville, all the way down to Florida. I've never been to the Northeast. Never been out of the country until I moved to Italy, minus Cancun on spring break in college. Doesn't count. Um, you know, moved to Italy, came to New York, and I was like, I don't know anyone here. And I looked in LinkedIn, and I was like, holy shit, I know like six people here. And I started, so then I started to use the all my social platforms. I've always been a big adopter of social. I knew social was always big. I had zanga and myspace and facebook and twitter i've been on everything every time something new comes out i'm adopting it and so the book is all about there's enough people out there screaming into the void as like thought leaders in fact i know we people have different opinions on authority figures and thought leaders and personal brand i like key opinion leader and the fact that like hey it's my opinion you can listen to it or not you can you can have conversations and dialogue with me you don't have to think i'm right or wrong it's okay like it's my opinion and i'm coming from a place of here's, here's, here's why, and here's how I do things. And if it works for you, great. I always tell people when they meet with me, look, I may be an expert, but take everything I say with a grain of salt. If you want to tell me to kick rocks, tell me to kick rocks. Like what I might say, this is your business. Only you can have the instincts on it. And so the book is all about why to build and how to do it with value added. Like people go for all these followers. I'd rather have a thousand followers and high engagement than have 10,000 followers and low engagement. Because right. I know people are making an impact. And so right. I want that direct impact. So the book is just about building your authentic self with intentionality, creating great networks where you can interact and learn, whether that's through the selling process or just learning process. Then how do you get value out of those networks? Like, how do you do that? So one of the things that I did with intention this year as I was launching, not launching, I've launched Rise Up Coaching at the same time I did Hat Digger, but as I was really thinking about what other things I wanted to do with the Rise Up brand, I pulled my brand ambassador list. I have a hundred people on a list that I call brand amplifiers and ambassadors. They're the people I go to if I need a post liked and, and shared, 
their go-to is like personal board advisors. And I set up and I said, hey, so we go into 2021, I'd love to talk about what I'm doing, some ideas I'm bouncing around. And I set up 70 calls to people. And just, hey, here's something about doing. What do you got on your plate? How can I help you? And as I was asking that, and everyone, and through that, I developed really quickly with intentionally what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to start a podcast. I had a few people that helped me figure out what I wanted to do. I wanted to do things. And that's all it's about. So the book is just how do you go about doing that? And how do you go about navigating the social space as a hyper-connected human to create networks? Because some of my best personal board of advisors, I've never met in person. Yeah. And, and it's like, how do you build that community around there with a, in a value-added way that's going to help you gain traction in life, whether that's jobs, opportunity, knowledge, coaching, connections. And that's what the book is all about, being your social, your real self online. As someone that, that carries the, uh, what do they say, advocate, like a mental health advocate, right? Mm-hmm. I, I understand and look very closely at the mental health implications of social media platforms and mm-hmm. Um, you know, dopamine peddling uh, tech and what that does and how. And so I, I tend to skew. Yeah. Anyway, I also know that it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be so empty. It doesn't have to be chasing after likes or follows. It doesn't, you know, and it can be about impact. And so, but there's just not, I, I mean, there's not as many people talking about it the way that you're, that you just talked about it. And there's not as many people writing about that, the way that you're writing about it. And I, I'm laughing, remembering the piece of advice that I was given when I like ventured back into LinkedIn about a year and a half ago, I, I like, I was delighted to wrap it up and put it on the shelf when I was no longer selling right. Cause I had used it to establish a presence in, 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 um, in an industry and, and be front of mind. But anyway, I mentioned that because I was crying at the advice to go through and unconnect with people that like were were had been clients and had you know because they were not going to quote engage in things that I'm doing now that maybe have to do with like selling or go to market stuff and I couldn't do it I couldn't do it I like I just I, these these people meant something to me these relationships yeah. meant something to me and so and then I like fast forward when I launched the podcast Rob the people that showed up the hardest and the most and like were the the former clients and like all the people that I was supposed to have disengaged with and and so anyway, it's all for that, that I say, thank you, sir, for one to challenging a, a, a limiting belief now that is it's time to, you know, really push back on and two, taking the time and energy to write it all out. And, um, I can't wait. I can't wait. So when's it yeah. coming out? Uh, it should be late October, late October. And it, yeah. it's, I can pre-order it. Uh, the pre-order will be out in September because I'm redoing the website, which will have a pre-order, uh, function. So all right, like I'm going to launch weeks of Spiel Live. I'm going to I'm going to launch the episode um but what, as soon as the pre-order goes live like send it to me cuz I'm going to yeah. put it in here and also I'm watching pre-order the book so Absolutely. Please do that, sir. Okay, Absolutely. so now with that, do you have any final thoughts before we go into the the last two? Yeah, uh final thoughts would really, you know, coming back to like the point you just said about you know the the intention of the network in anyone out there listening, when you think about like, all the stuff we're talking about with selling entrepreneurship, selling and the sales leaders, and, like all these things for everyone out there, if you want to really have a key takeaway, one of the things that I always tell people is we don't, there's enough playbooks out there. Like my book, I even said like, the first line is like, if you're looking for another playbook, this is not a fucking playbook, right? It's a way of doing things, right? Cause being, you, there's enough yeah. playbooks to go build your following, but like being authentic, is really being your true self and showing who that is. And you do that through engagement. And if there's one key takeaway, it's every day intentionally engage with five posts, not liking, like writing a comment. And it's not just like great posts or excellent or awesome. It's like five, like, Hey, the key, my key takeaway is this, right? Hey, I love that you post this and here's why, you know, or, and, and you share something and you can do that from a sales perspective, you do the prospects and it just creates engagement. And one of the things that I also love that I do and like a key thing that I think everyone should do, because I actually removed 2000 connections from LinkedIn that are just no longer relevant. Uh, Cause I used to be a taker. 
mm-hmm. when I released it, maybe I started networking, I was a taker mm-hmm. and then I turned into a value giver. And that's what part of the book is really that lessons I learned into that, like being a In go-giver. Transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and did so, you, have you read Adam Grant's Give and Take? Sorry, like, cause that's the root of- Adam Grant's Give and Take. Give and I Take? Have, it's, um, no, I have it. It's on my, it's on my bookshelf. You on my must list. read that immediately. That's my favorite book and that's where go-giver. Um, but anyway, okay, continue, please. Um, and so one of the things that I like to do- um, is when people connect with me and new connections, I just send like a quick message, like usually at the end of the month. So if they connect in the month, and then usually at the end of the month, I'll send a message like, hey, thanks for being a part of my network. My network is very important to me. Uh, if you didn't know that, now you do. Uh, if you're interested in what I'm doing professionally, you know, to, to like my page and follow along. And right now it's the podcast page and follow along. Um, if I can ever be of service to you, please let me know. If we haven't had a chance to personally connect and you want to do that and have a conversation, mm-hmm. let me know. And we'll find some time. Mm-hmm. And through that, I just organically create so many amazing conversations to learn from people and that curiosity that open up a lot of doors. That's a great way. It's, it's low and it's low lift. Doesn't feel pressured, but it's a great way to just spark conversation with your network and create value. And so those are the two things that I think, you know, there are two different pieces that the book talks about, but if a key takeaway for this, for this, and then we think about all these things that we talked about, mm-hmm. you just be curious and engage and create the right people around you, the right opportunities, the right training, all those things open up to you. And I think also help solve some of these problems of just creating, you know, more mentally wealthy people. And I actually, my a friend of mine, Jay Caleb has a podcast called mental wealth, and it's all about taking your mental health and, 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 how that focuses and how that provides wealth into your life through good vibes, positive thoughts, process, energy, all these different things that can take shape in different spaces of your life. And, yeah. and it's, it's, it is a, it is a great podcast that I did with them. And, and that's, that's what this is all about. So that's, that'd be kind of my final thought takeaway to do to, to put an action that somebody can take out of this. Um, but there's so many things that we could have gone deep into that, you know, conversations need to be had and there's no easy solutions. I think we all want things simple and nothing simple. It's very complicated and complex. And, you know, we need to stop trying to solve for simple and we need to start thinking in a more complicated, complex solution to really drive change and growth. And that my friend is my why for the, for the show, right? It's, when you're thinking about complex, right? So there is no solving the simple, really. It's not, it, yeah, it's it's generally a Band-Aid and maintaining mm-hmm. or managing Band-Aid after Band-Aid after Band-Aid, right? Equals like just shoot yourself in the face. Um, mm-hmm. But when, when we're venturing into the unknown or into the complex where there is context required 100% of the time, having the ability to conversate around mm-hmm. problems. Um, same thing with selling, right? It's not just about your features or the business problem, but having an ability to converse with the buyers around their business problem. That's where that's step one. And so I'm with you there. Okay. So do you have, am I rushing through the next four minutes or do you have, do you I've have an extra that. five minutes? What'd you say? I do. I okay. got okay. on Fridays. I actually don't schedule anything after 2 PM. It's so funny. Mine's 3 p.m. I like, unless it's a spreadsheet like you, if there's a people person, yeah. Okay. Um, but I'm with you there. Okay. So what is the hardest, most uncomfortable conversation that you've ever had to have in a revenue context? Buyers, oh. prospect, like, so clients, manager, hiring manager, downline, like people <laughs> that report to you, peers. Oh, spouse. they're so... There's so many. Which so one kept many. you up at night, Rob? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, no, there's there's one. There's a couple from my recruiting days that I probably shouldn't bring up because they were. Like, we no, I want HR the big. Involved. I want the one. No, I, these are the ones. Oh, so I had early in my career, I had placed a consultant on a project and. I think it was a a smaller town in Wisconsin. And I wake up one morning to three missed calls and two texts from my client that he was up having coffee, watching the morning news, and there was a prostitution sting. And one of the names and faces on the news that got busted happened to be the contractor that I had Mm. on assignment. Mm. So I pick up the phone, call him, 
ask a question and say, okay, let me, let me take this to my team, figure out how to go forward. Uh, I'll try to get a hold of the contractor, make sure he doesn't come in today and get back to you. So I called my boss and, you know, we obviously had to go to HR and it got kind of crazy because HR wasn't sure what to do and we had to get people involved. But while we're doing all this, we had to pay him, but the client wasn't going to pay us. And so my boss had to sit there and tell me that you're going to actually pay out of your commission for his salary. And we're going to split it from the office and from you uh, because the way this information came about to you uh, was not proper communication channels. And I, I'm sitting there, I'm like 24. I'm like, what, what do you mean? What the fuck? Like I, the first thing I do is I call the client to just assure him. And then I call you as my boss and we go get HR involved. Like, what do you mean not proper communication channels? And what do you mean I'm having to pay this guy out of my commission check? And I just remember it was such a tough conversation to have all around because then I'm, I had to call and talk to him and manage his expectations, let him know what's going on. But I have to be careful what I say to him. I have the client who's like freaking out and not happy. And this is one of our biggest national clients for the company. Mm-hmm. Um and one of our key strategic accounts, I'm working with HR. And so I'm, I'm having these conversations that I'm not prepared for. And I just remember that it, 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 it is always one of those things that I learned really quickly that when you ever have, you know, it was something that was defining. It kept me up so long because I, I was sure I handled it right, you know, from the client, from internally, all these things. And it's just one of those things that, you know what, you're going to be put in positions in life with clients and especially when it comes to money Bosses, and services. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah. and we're talking about your money too. They wanted to take it out of your commission check. Okay. And can we start to have like, like, I just want to call bullshit on this dude that said this to you because one, you're 24. So taking advantage of a younger person, in my opinion, and two, this started with a sting that was on the news. So you want to talk about like an anomaly event, like yeah. this, this was first communicated to the client's from in an asynchronous manner from the television set. Like what? What? you know, it was, it was crazy and it keeps me up. But the the thing I will say is that the company and my boss and everything, like, yeah, it kind of sucked that the money came out of my pocket, but the, the way that they, I feel that we handled it from an organization standpoint actually was, was the right way. And they did all the right things and getting the right people involved. But like why that was the hardest, one of the hardest things for me is because it gave me one of my best lessons in managing clients uh, and expectations all around is that you're going to be faced with things that you're not prepared for. Your instincts, follow them. And the first thing that I did was be a good human and I called the client and just say, hey, let, I don't have answers for you. And I think in, in sales, as sellers, we, we were so quick to always have an answer for something that it's a, it was a sign, you know, especially when I was being trained, that it might be a sign of weakness to say, Hey, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me get back to you. We'll take care of this. Like, just calm down. Like, let me do what I can and let you know and communicate. And then just that value of like, when you do have those problems arise, a lot of times we just clam up, communicate, communicate as much as possible, be transparent because it was just one of those things that was one of the hardest conversations to have. And it was like a really long two week thing that was just super stressful. I barely slept for two weeks as we went through this process, but the whole time I just made sure to communicate with my boss, with our legal team, with HR, with our client, with our client's HR. And in fact, one of the things that they all priced us for was the amount of communication throughout the process. Mm-hmm. And he actually, that, that client actually continued to use us. We refilled the position you know, they were, they still stayed one of our biggest clients and it was just kind of like the hard, one of the hardest conversations I've ever had. And the second hardest conversation I had was when I was 23, when I fired my first person mm-hmm. at 23, firing a contractor. And he sat across from me crying and I didn't know what the fuck to do. Cause mm-hmm. I just told him, Hey, you're not going to make any money anymore. And you're effective today. And I got to walk you out. And again, it comes back to there's things in life that you are not going to be prepared for. Be a good human and communicate and be okay saying, I don't know, let me go find answers. I need one of those like clappy hands to like, <laughs> just like, a, like a laugh track and an applause. Well, I, I think I do enough laughing for everybody, but like definitely an applause track. And if I had one, oh, that one get, that would get it right there. Um, yeah. Bad news doesn't get better with time friends. Bad mm-hmm. news does not get better with time. And in fact, 
I would lean like when when I've been in situations that Rob, like Rob described and we've all been there. And if you're pursuing this career, like you'll get there, too, if you haven't already, when you do lean into it with authenticity and realness, you you differentiate yourself in the most exquisite manner because most people avoid those conversations. They avoid them and they, they run away from them. And that, that tends to be what's most frustrating. Like even it's like, it's more frustrating than the actual event itself. Right. And so, um, when you do all the things that Rob described, not only is it the right thing to do, and you feel better about yourselves and the way that you're showing up for your clients or your prospects, but it's how you differentiate, right? Anyone can show up and be fabulous when things are golden and things are great. Um, but those are, that's where the, the lifelong clients are born, right? When you go through some kind of tumultuous and teams, even for that matter. Um, and so that was very well said, Rob. Okay. And you know what, I guess you almost even kind of answered my second question, which is one piece of advice about uncomfortable conversations. Lean into it. Lean into it. Always. I mean, lean into fear because on the other side of that uncomfortable fear is where growth happens. And we, I kind of said earlier in the show is that, you know, it's the same thing I talk about and why I launched my podcast is to talk about the real stories of entrepreneurs. Like all these startup entrepreneur podcasts talk about that one major challenge of the shining moment, how they overcame it. It's like entrepreneurship is fucking hard at all levels. And so why do you do it? How do you do it? What do you do? And talking about the growth that comes along with that of taking a company and competing in the market and going through all these things and what makes you stand out. And so, you know, just, just lean into uncomfortable conversations, pick up the phone. Uh, the other thing I'll say, cause I have, and I know that everyone's a, you know, a great communicator and, and writ- verbal, some people are writers and just know that sometimes the best way to express yourself is to pick up the phone and have the conversation. If you need to write it, write it first, but then say it. Sometimes you, we default in a world of text message to just like texting and slacking a lot of things, especially on uncomfortable things because we don't have to see the face or have that. Yeah. And uh, I think it's really important that you make time to to pick up the phone and have the conversation and be a human. Uh, Even though it's really easy to text. Like I always think I, you know, there was one girl in my life that I broke up over text and it was the I, I felt like the biggest asshole in the world and couldn't believe I did that. And like to this day, hate that I did that to her. And I feel so bad because that was a conversation that she should have had the, I should have had the respect for her to pick up the phone and call her and break up with her. Instead, I chickened out and texted her. And I go with something that just, I still think about because <laughs> I'm telling you about it. Um, Wait, can I, I, I want to leave this a little bit, alleviate this a little bit for you. So first of all, you probably, if you're still thinking about it, you were probably a douchebag in this moment. So like, yeah, however, you could have, you could have ghosted her. Yeah. Which could've. is a, which is a big thing right now. So like on the rung of douchebaggery. Yeah, that's you, true. You weren't the bottom, bottom rung, which is, there's only thing worse than, than texting about over like discomfort or uncomfortable things. And that is to avoid the conversation altogether, yeah, which is um, never which, good which is especially egregious when you're in the position of, of power or authority. Um, Rob, this was, this was a blast. This was so fun. Thank you so much for making the time for us. I, uh, did you have fun? I did. I had a blast. I always love talking to so like this and, you know, it's really easy to do podcasts and have conversations with guests and make them sound really good and, you know, ask easy questions. But I think that if people are wanting to consume content and doing these type of things, like you need to ask tough questions, you need to ask, questions around growth and, and hard things, because that's where action gets taken. And so for me, this is a lot of fun to be able to have conversations like this, uh, because then that's where growth and action actually comes out of mm-hmm. conversations like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's like you take a product to market, you're validating it, but you don't want to look for validation. You want to look for opposition, just like I pick up a cold call. If a prospect starts giving you objections, that's a good sign. It means that there's, they're actually thinking about it. If they're taking the time to object to you versus just say, no, thank you. And avoid the, avoid the call and get off the phone. Right. So I love having the, the idea of leaning into fear, leaning into that and, and learning to have growth come out of that. You know, it's funny. I, so I learned a bunch of stuff. I'm looking forward to going back to edit, editing this one. Like even what you said about the <clears throat> engage in five posts a day, um, 
And when you went through like the curiosity, authenticity, intentionality, like before this, this conversation, I was, I went for a walk with the dog, right. To get midday, right. Get the blood flowing and, yeah. and energy level up or whatever. And I was pissed because I wasn't, I couldn't write that down fast enough. So when you said it on the show, I was like, yes, like I can go back into it. <laughs> um, okay. So how can everybody find you, Rob? Yes. Great question. So I'm on all the platforms. Uh, you can find me Rob Napoli on LinkedIn. Um, I have a beacons page. So it's beacons, B E A C O N S dot mm-hmm. page backslash Rob Napoli. That has uh, links to every one of my social platforms, uh, how to connect with me, links to my podcast, link to all my pages. The best way is to drop that beacons page in the show notes, click on that, whatever platform you want to follow me on or connect with me on, please do. Smart. If you want to have a conversation, have questions, follow up. On my LinkedIn is my phone number. So if you want to shoot me a text message, you're more than welcome to. I'm always open to conversations. Just let me know that you heard it from the Revenue Real Hotline and more than happy to, 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 to have a conversation and um, just just talk some more about whatever, you know, sparked whatever your heart episode. desires. Yeah. <laughs> your I always heart. love a good conversation because there's so much good that comes out of it. I agree. I agree. Um, it's conversations. This is the lowest common denominator for the relationship. And frankly, conversations are how we experience ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, so now bringing it full back to the podcast, which we didn't get to talk about, right? This is a one big, deep practice exercise for myself right? To venture mm-hmm. into the complexity of tomorrow or even today. But anyway, listeners, thank you. Thank you. Thank you as well for your time. Oh, Rob, thank you for your time. I think I said that already, just in case it didn't. Thank you. Listeners, <laughs> thank you for joining us. I hope that um, you found this as, as enjoyable and as valuable as I myself did. And, you know, as usual, truth, love, and joy, friends, and happy selling. So that was Rob Napoli on how to blend your social presence effectively as a tool to show who you are, your why, your value, and the impact you can create. Be sure to check out Rob's new book, Social Soul, and his podcast, The Bare Necessities of Entrepreneurship, or come hang with both of us over at, over at salescast.co for uh, Revenue Humans Who Podcast. Thank you for hanging out today with us, friends. It means the world. If you found any value in things discussed, do let me know in the form of, the, of a review. You can easily um, do it right over at revenuereal.com. Feedback is my love language after all. And that wraps another installment of the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm your host, Amy Rahubchek. Happy selling. <laughs>